This is the Douglas Robin Show. Welcome to the Den of Discussion. I'm your host, Douglas Robbins. Today we have branding expert D.P. Knutin. Uh, nonfiction right. brand is his book, and he's going to enlighten you about branding. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me on, Doug. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. So let's just start with the real basics, and then we'll get into the nuts and bolts of branding. What? Obviously, we all hear branding all the time, the word branding. Every company has a brand of some sort. But what would you say in just sort of a general definition, what is branding? Let's start there if we could. Well, it's a good question because a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on what it is. For some people, it's nothing but consistent use of logo, color, typography, and maybe a tagline. For other people, it's a lot deeper. For me, it's everything from the way you answer your phone to your public behavior. Everything informs the brand that you are. But if you want to go back to the very beginning of branding, we got to go all the way back to the Wild West of the United States of America, where it was all about one specific thing, and that is differentiation. If you think of it this way, if you're a rancher and I'm a rancher, and you've got a bunch of brown cows and I've got a bunch of brown cows, what is to separate your herd from my herd? Nothing. They are commodities. They are the same thing, unless they're not. A commodity is one state, a brand is another better state or a premium state, if you uh, ask me. So you would brand your cows with your specific ranch's brand. I would brand my cows with my specific branch's brand, uh, ranch's brand, I should say. And people could differentiate. Well, here's the thing. Over time, that differentiation can achieve different levels of depth. So you have ranch A, I have ranch B. If I treat my cows better, if I give them better fodder, if I give them uh, more opportunities to become better cattle, over time, people are going to associate things like, oh, it's better, it's premium, it's a higher quality product with my specific brand. And in the book, my book, Nonfiction Brand, I talk about Kobe beef versus USDA prime beef. USDA prime beef, go into any store and get the most expensive cut of prime beef and compare that to Kobe beef that comes specifically from an area of Japan. And you'll see that there is a 10x difference in price between the two per pound. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, because if you go into the depth of understanding what Kobe beef is about, you'll understand that these, these beef cattle are treated like spa guests. I mean, literally, they receive massages for crying out loud. Hmm. And that consequently creates a better cut of beef that's more tender, that has more fat marbling the way that chefs like it to be marbled and things like that. And consequently, people pay 10 times more for the same cut of beef. Now, uh, this is just one example of many. Sure. sure. But, but I can point to the fact that all I have to do is say two words and you'll understand what I mean again. Android versus Apple's iOS. Mm -hmm. Android owns 80 plus percent of the marketplace when it comes to smartphones. <clears throat> but 
Apple iOS devices, iPhones, own 80% of the profit of the smartphone market. Yeah. So which would you rather have, sell more or have a higher profit margin sure. per phone? Sure. Apple's iOS operating system on iPhones is a premium brand, even though its competitor, its very close competitor, Android or Android phones made by Samsung, et cetera, they compete very directly. But if you ask people like me, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. Why? Because Apple has successfully branded that experience as being a premium experience worth a premium price. And one of the things I like people to understand is that commodities are always bought for the lowest possible price. Think about that. I always want to buy a commodity for the cheapest I can get it. Whereas a premium brand commands a premium in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a small business or you as an individual want to be thought of as something in your, your area of human endeavor, would you rather be thought of as a commodity that's replaceable or as a premium brand that's worth preference, evangelization, sharing with others, because they know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it, and your value to them. I'm all about what I call nonfiction branding, which is the truth of who you are, what you do, and how you do it, packaged in a way that people understand that, prefer that, purchase it, or engage with it wherever you go. Because the opposite opportunity that you have, or the opposite of doing that, is to be a commodity which means you can be replaced by a younger, faster, perceived cheaper version of whatever you are. And I say this as a guy who's got a salt and pepper beard that has more salt than pepper in it. Yes. You know, and we can talk about that if you I'm want. I'm joining but... the club, yeah. Yeah, well, then you know this. I, you're probably at the point in your career, which I, and maybe you're at the beginning of it. I call it your X years. You're excellent at what you do, at what you do, because you've developed expertise over years doing it. <clears throat> you're recognized as an expert, therefore you're expensive, and therefore expendable if your name is not on the door of the company you work for. Mm -hmm. Because I'll be honest with you, and I come from the advertising world. So what happens in advertising is, through no fault of your own your ad agency loses a major client. You know, clients move on all the time. At ad agencies, when a big client moves on, there's an instant meeting among the operational staff to say, okay, we need to lose some people. Let's look at the spreadsheet of, of salaries and stuff like that. And they tend to go, huh, I can have one of him or five of them for the same price. I'm gonna get rid of the one to save the five. And if you're that person who's achieved that expensive X year position, you're out of a job at the time where the, basically the marketplace doesn't necessarily even think of wanting you. And that's a terrible time to realize, oh man, I should have started building my personal brand a long time ago. Yeah. I'd like to back up for one second. So again, I, I know the book is nonfiction brand, which if, if I understand it correctly, it's really about your authenticity. That's why it's nonfiction. If it was yeah. a fiction brand, it would essentially be smoke and mirrors and sort of a made up image or a made up persona, if you will. But I want to get back to branding for, for one second. So um, 
you know, for instance, like a Gucci or something uh, like that, a high-end product. Now, a brand is a very curious thing, right? The branding of it, I should say, because a Gucci bag is not going to be any better than a bag that maybe you buy at Target. Like, you know, the, the maybe it'll be a little better than, you know, uh, as far as the build of it. But you don't buy, say, a Gucci bag or a Jaguar automobile or a Rolls Royce. I mean, a Rolls Royce will be perhaps made a little bit better, but not value to to purchase, you know, um, that much better. So that's a very curious thing when we're not, we're looking for brands for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Kobe beef. Obviously, a lot of people know Black Angus. That strikes a chord. Oh, that must be better because it's called that. Um, and these are often not not nonfiction. Um, you know, Gucci is selling an image, right? Jaguar is selling an, an image. But what, what would you say? Is that nonfiction? I mean... Well, I, I, I understand what you're saying, which is yeah. luxury brands, wow, they command a huge price and yeah. their, their product is not that much different than right. other products in class. And a $30 bag at the store, yeah. To which I would say you're right about the products, features, and specifications. Yeah, like the functionality of it. Right, but yeah. the difference is the thing, the intangible that's associated with the brand that people are actually buying the brand because of that. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Sure. Uh, when I was uh, in, living in Atlanta, working at McCann Erickson on Coca-Cola, doing work for them, I ran across a person who told me a story that kind of blew my mind. I had just gone and gotten new glasses and I was talking to someone about the place I went and stuff like that. And they said, oh my gosh, you got to hear this story. I saw while I was getting my glasses, a young man come in and he picked out a pair of Perry Ellis frames. You know, Perry, it's, it's just a brand name of frame. You know, you've got all sorts of different kinds in there, all the way from Under Armour to, you know, Brand X and, and also Gucci and Prada and stuff like that. Well, this guy bought the, the Perry Ellis frames and they were getting them all set up and stuff like that. And on the Perry Ellis frames was a little static cling plastic sticker that said Perry Ellis on the, the glass lens itself. And they said, and we'll take this off, of course. And he goes, no, no, no. I want that on there. <laughs> and they're like, well, that will, you know, that'll impede your vision yeah. through the lens. He goes, yeah, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm a Perry Ellis guy. I want my glasses to read Perry Ellis because yeah. I am a Perry Ellis. Everything I own yeah. is Perry Ellis. Yeah. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. The job of the glasses is to allow you to see better. And you're actually doing something to make you see worse because it projects a tribal image that you belong to a specific tribe or, mm. or that is the brand Perry Ellis. Yeah. And the guy was, yep, that's exactly what I want. Because here's the thing, a, and to give an example, Rolex watches, right? Rolex has knockoffs that look identical. You can get for $50 a knockoff Rolex watch mm -hmm. And only the watch aficionados who look at the sweep or the lack of a sweep secondhand will notice that, oh, Rolex secondhands don't have any kind of tick, tick, tick motion. It's a continuous sweep. 
and unless you get that thing in your hands, you can't tell it's not a Rolex except for that tick, tick, tick. But every Rolex owner in the world who sees you wearing a knockoff Rolex is going to look at that and then see, try to see, is it real or is it fake? And if it's fake, they think you're an idiot. If it's real, oh, you're a member of my tribe. Yeah. It becomes a signifier of tribal membership. I will never buy anything by Prada, Gucci, or Louis Vuitton. Guess what? They don't want me because I'm not a member of that tribe. Yeah. So really, again, it's really that association that people apply to a product, some external source saying, I've made it, or I'm valuable, I'm important, or I'm in the club, as you're saying. Um, it's very curious that, that we do this, right? I mean, it's not so much, as I said, about the functionality or the need or... Well, it depends because... Yeah. Let, let's take some brands. Yeah. Subaru, all-wheel drive. Yeah. Jeep and Land Rover. All three of those things can go off-road. Mm -hmm. All three of those things are built tough enough to handle some pretty severe off-road conditions. Right. Let me play this out. You're driving into Aspen to go skiing at a very tony ski resort do you want to show up in a subaru or a land rover sure the same thing if i said one of these vehicles is on a photo shoot on the serengeti surrounded by giraffes and zebras what brand are you going to say jeep <laughs> well probably a, a lot land of people rover. would say land rover right but if it were of cowboys rounding up mavericks in the west of the right. United States of America, it'd probably be Jeep. Sure. Because these things have different meaning to different people, so mm -hmm. much so that people in Europe who, can, who are very close to the manufacturer of Land Rover in Britain will buy an American Jeep if they associate it with the right. American West. Right, 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 right. Smart people, I, I, I'm sorry, maybe not smart people, but frugal people who don't care about such things yeah. like me would buy a Subaru because I know their reliability is second to none. Right. And by the way, customer satisfaction, one of the key scores of any product, Yeah. the highest customer satisfaction in automobiles, Volvo. Not Land Rover. Tesla. Subaru. Subaru's in the top three. Hmm. Yeah, and Land Rover has challenges when it comes to, to uh, reliability and stuff yeah. to a certain extent. But the idea that Subaru can be in, you know, 95% plus customer satisfaction scores, that's amazing. And that's part of its true brand story. It's nonfiction brand story. So yeah. again, these external associations that you talked about, Many of those external associations are based on actual factual things about the product. You mentioned sure. Gucci and I mentioned Louis Vuitton. These brands are handmade leather products that are based, you know, in, in France or Italy. And if you look back in their history, they were handmade for generations by the same family, you know, and they've they've only released the very best stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as a 50% off Louis Vuitton thing. Hold on. I got to decline that. Um, 
there is no such thing as a 50% off Louis Vuitton bag. Yeah. You know, there's a brand here in Wisconsin where I live that you may be familiar with, Kohler. They, they do bathroom fixtures like sure. toilets and sinks. Sure. Guess what? You can't buy a second from the factory. If it is not perfect to their specification, they destroy the product because mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a Kohler second. Mm -hmm. Why? They, they just wasted all that time and energy and yeah. product, you know, raw materials and stuff, and they just destroy it? Well, they destroy the crappy versions of them so that the, the premium version of them can exist in the marketplace. Well, it's very curious because a lot of companies, for instance, a GE has moved to a different model, to almost the opposite model, whereas GE used to be this revered company. Now they have the manufactured obsolescence. Let's put in crappier products so it breaks down in a few years. We'll sell them another, another washing machine. So great for Kohler that they don't want products going out there and GE's reputation used to be one that is revered and it is no longer that. Um, so talk about a brand that used to be sort of one of the top US brands and now is that yeah. is really declined. And they, they decided to just take what they had and let it go in favor of profits. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, brands, Profit is always a necessary factor in the sure. calculus of any successful business. So I'm not talking about giving away stuff for free or doing mm -hmm. things that don't make money for your company, but I'll point to a brand like Patagonia, the maker of uh, quality outdoor wear for everybody from, uh, you know, casual campers to Everest expeditions. And they've done a couple of things with their brand lately that have blown my mind. Okay, so several years ago, there was a story about how hedge fund managers, uh, evidently, when things started to change and things got less stodgy, it wasn't about wearing suits every day. It was about wearing the traditional uniform of the hedge fund manager, which was a Patagonia vest with an embroidered logo of the okay. company you're working for, and that, that everybody wore it. Hmm. Patagonia did not like the association hmm. with the hedge funds that were, you know, tearing country uh, uh, companies apart, yeah. were arbitraging things, were destroying value and hurting people. So they literally said, we will no longer do embroidered stuff for hedge funds and stuff wow. like that. Why? Wow. Because you don't represent what we care about as a company, as, yeah. as people who work at a company or anything else. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Just this past year, they've expanded that. You cannot now get officially embroidered Patagonia products from any mm -hmm. embroidery or printing company or anything like that with a company name on it, regardless of your company. Yeah. Why? Patagonia is concerned about the sustainability of the environment this world is, has, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, here's the problem with our products that are embroidered. You wear it while you work for that company. And the second you leave that company, you don't wear it anymore. Great and it point. becomes garbage. Mm -hmm. We want our products to last you a lifetime. So we can't have it last a lifetime if you have, uh, if you change jobs and you get rid of it. We don't want that. So now, again, the embroiderers and printers and stuff like that, that do logo wear, they 
will lose their license to mm. use Patagonia product if they embroider on it a company oh. name, yeah, etc. Et so I'm like, that was had to be a not inconsequential number of yeah. sales per year, mm -hmm. and they just said we don't need it. Why? Because our brand stands for this. It's based on the entire heritage and history and person of Yvonne Chouinard, who was a dirtbag climber in Yosemite in the 60s and 70s. And he has that business, as he has said, he keeps it and doesn't sell it to anybody else because it allows him the money to give away to the causes he cares about. Yeah. That's so the, that business is a non-fiction brand. Yeah. GE is a fiction brand. One, there is GE, General Electric. Uh, I guess we make everything that requires electricity. It's not specific to anything. Mm. It's, it, its heritage may have meant something way back in the day when yeah. it was more about people like Edison and stuff. But when Jack Welch came in, and started stack ranking employees and literally kicking out decent people who cared and all that stuff and then yeah. started turning out products that had a five-year lifespan mm -hmm. that's when oh this is about making money it's not about serving people or making the highest quality or anything yeah. like that ge the the only brand that i look at that is kind of strong for ge are their jet engines and that's only because we haven't seen many uh, thankfully, and many aircraft failure because of GE engines. Uh, Frankly, I had a GE toaster that lasted maybe five years. <laughs> Never well, buy that's it again. Fascinating about Patagonia and to take a stand, making profits, standing by your brand, what the definition of your brand is, the authenticity of your brand is, as opposed to GE, where that used to make high quality and then they went to the short term gains of how much profit can we make now and at the simultaneously destroying their long-term brand yeah and and frankly a lot of the uh, companies that they acquire they strip the brand off that company that has earned their position in the marketplace yeah. to be worthy of acquisition yeah and they don't care get rid of their logo slap ours on let's see how long people will buy it and then move on you know and let, let me ask that's you. crazy so everything essentially is a brand. The U.S. Yeah. is a brand. Religions are brands. Everything that we associate with essentially is we, even if we don't have a product to sell, our personalities, you could make the case, are brands. Hey, I'm Absolutely. a caring person. I'm an SOB. I'm a jerk, whatever. You could say, this is the brand I've perpetuated. This is how I want the world to see me, how I see me. Um, is there a difference between regular branding and personal branding uh technically probably yes and that but i want to go all the way back to uh the original guy who came up with the term personal branding um and it was part of an article in fast company magazine in 1997 by tom peters mm -hmm. and you can look it up today on fastcompany.com just look up a, a title of an article called A Brand Called You. And if you read that article, you'll discover that the argument he was making was that it was, uh, it was incumbent upon people to market themselves the same way that packaged goods are marketed. Meaning, Tide Laundry Soap 
Is it really all that different than all laundry soap or fill-in-the-blank laundry soap? No, of course not. <clears throat> but it has a very recognizable logo, the kind of purpley-blue tied word in a certain font with uh, kind of orange and yellow swirls around it. It's very, very easily recognized, even in a crowded shopping uh, you know, market uh, aisle. You can find it very, very quickly, very easily. <coughs> What he was saying was, <clears throat> yes, humans are infinitely unique and infinitely, uh, you have many different qualities about yourself. Well, just like a product does. Like if you wanted to, you could read the side of the ingredients on a tied laundry box and it would go on for days in words you don't understand because they re re you know, represent chemical compounds. You don't need to know that stuff. You need to know... This stuff is powerful. It takes out grass stains and it's priced appropriately. And by the way, because it's an it's a certain kind of tide, an HE, high efficiency, it's designed for your specific uh, laundry uh, washing machine, right? Uh, because it's got the HE logo on it for high efficiency. It's Tide. Mom always bought Tide. That's why I bought Tide. Buy a, you know, that's why I buy Tide. Mom always did. I do. It trans a good brand literally transfers from generation to generation. Sure. Tom Peters was saying you need to package yourself like a brand. So, if I were to describe myself, there are many things people don't need to know about me. They, the fact that I like dogs, that's actually a plus because that helps me have a conversation starter with people who like dogs. The fact that the wall behind me is covered with guitars allows me to have conversations with people who like music or How many do you really have back there? One, two, three, four. Yeah, I, I got like 10 guitars, I think. Nice. Uh, but that allows me to have deep conversations, especially with fellow guitarists. Yeah. They'll say, oh, my God, is that a resonator guitar? I'll say, yeah, that's a Regal Angelus from 1933. Are you kidding me? And none of that stuff matters, right? But it does to the guitar player. Yeah. And it makes me a little bit more interesting than someone who's like, eh. Well, what are people always looking for? Common ground to start yeah. a conversation. Right. And so I'm giving them clues. I'm, but I'm not telling you everything. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like if in five minutes of deep conversation, you could find out where I exist on the political spectrum. I don't hide that stuff, but I don't lead with it either. Why? Because there are many customers that I might want to engage with who, if I led with that, sure. might take umbrage and say, not for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't lead with that. But a, a lot of the things I do lead with, and one of the concepts I talk about in the book, Nonfiction Brand, is the idea of having a key three, which is three phrases, words, or concepts that you associate with yourself that you constantly use as a touchstone for everything you do. My three key three words, phrases, concepts are provocative. Well, let me do it in this order. Creative. I always have to be on the creative side of the fence. Collaborative. I always have to work with people, meaning I'm not a poet up in a garret writing poems that no one will ever hear. I need to be working with other people closely, even if part of what I do has to be done individually on my own, the, the writing part. I still need to hear, okay, so what's the story we're telling? What's the goal? All that stuff. I, and that happens via collaboration. And then the last word, the how I do it, provocative. My goal is to always provoke a response, not in an unkind way, 
but in a, huh, I never thought of that, or, oh, I don't, we couldn't do that. Yeah. And the answer is, no, you could do that, but let's talk about why you're hesitant to do that. Because, you know, let's work this out. Because I'm not telling you have to do it, but I, as a creative partner to you, I have got to challenge your, assumpt your, your assumptions about who you are and what you're capable of. It's like any good coach is there to encourage you, but also give you a kick in the butt when you're not doing it right. So that, that provocative part is something that people need to understand about me mm -hmm. so they can choose, oh, that's a little too hot for me. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Where other people go, that's exactly what I need. Yeah. I can best serve the people who say, that is exactly what I need, not the ones who go, mm, I don't, that's too aggressive for me. I like, um, you have a lot of case studies in, in your uh, book, Nonfiction Brand. And one is, um, I think it's a builder, a, a contracting company that says we shoot for 97% approval rating. And you said, well, that's very strange. Most people shooting for 100%. And they said, yes, but we, we've been studying this and we find that 3% are always complaining no matter what we do, no matter freebies and giveaways and discounts, there's always 3%. So we're shooting for 97%. How about that's authenticity in its uh, function? Well, yeah, you think about it. If you say our goal is 100%, customer satisfaction and you can never achieve 100%, yeah. well, we're always working toward it. If you can never get there, it's a false, fake metric. Yeah. It's a feel-good metric. It's I, like if you're trying to lose weight, don't say I want to lose eh, around 20 pounds. No, say I want to lose 17.5 pounds and then work toward that specific metric yeah. because it's real based on what is actually possible because mm -hmm. here's the thing i could say all day long that uh i am a i, I always go to a, an absurd argument here but bear with me i could say all day long that i am a female romanian gymnast you look like that all right yeah well i will never <laughs> ever be a right. female romanian gymnast it's a joke it's a it's a sure you know it, it's impossible however i could say that I am a creative partner who will collaborate with you and always provoke our <laughs> discussions so that we get the best possible work with the best possible outcomes. Mm -hmm. I can do that because that's what I am. That's how I roll. It's that magic uh, recipe of who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And that's why it, it's so <clears throat> incumbent upon you to understand that. For example, and Doug, I don't know you at all, but let's just say you're, you're someone who deeply analyzes stuff and then surfaces up the actionable information from an entire gigantic pile of data. Is that valuable? Sure. Heck yeah, that's valuable. And if you are that type of person, everybody who could possibly engage with you should know that up front saying, what I do is I take this, I take all your data and then I put it through my own processes. I work with you to identify the metrics we want to pay attention to. And then I surface up the difficult things that you can't see because here's the benefit of hiring or working with me. Your nose is pressed up against the tree of your business all day long. You can see the bark right in front of your eyes. You can see the ants crawling up the bark, but you can't see the tree. 
much less the forest in which you exist. Mm -hmm. My value to you is taking the things you can't see and servicing them to you so that we can act upon them. And by the way, the second part of what I can offer you is the actionable things we can do to achieve the goals you want. Yeah. Wow, that's a whole <laughs> lot different than me being a creative guy who comes up with pithy sayings and headlines and TV spots and stuff. Does that make me more or less valuable than you? No, we're differently valuable in different areas. And the key thing is that people understand that about you. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't like talking about myself. And I, I get that. I'm Midwestern American. You know, it's the old, you're no better than anybody else. You put your pants on one leg at a time, mister. And the answer is, yeah, that's true. But there's a biblical injunction. Don't hide your light under a bushel too, which is, Get out there and let people know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it. Because if you don't, they won't ever find out. We live in a world where people are more likely to take credit for your work than give credit to you. So take the credit you deserve, own that credit, and make sure that everyone else knows it. And again, you don't have to do it in an obnoxious Kardashian way. You have to do it in a way that is authentic to you. Yeah. Let's build from there. So you have a line in your book saying performing brilliantly in obscurity is not a winning strategy. So you have fictional branding and nonfiction branding. And I could be totally off base, but fiction branding is, so you hear a lot of the big companies. Let's use insurance for a moment. I actually work also in insurance. Um, it's not a fun place. There's nothing ha 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 funny about insurance. It's pretty serious most of the time, uh, heavy. And all of the insurance commercials, all state, Liberty Mutual, uh, State Farm, everyone tries to be playful and light like they're your best friends. And there is zero truth to it. Some of these companies will, will cut you off at the knees and find every technicality to not pay you or to, to nickel and dime you to death. So they're presenting one image, obviously. They're your friends, they're funny, they're welcoming, but there's zero truth to it. Yep. How do you, and how do you reconcile, because this is now what people, they have cute commercials and cute, you know, songs and it gets stuck in your head. But again, there's such a disconnection between their actual product and what they're selling. How do you, that's obviously fictional branding, or I would assume that's fictional branding. What do you say, I mean, to people, I mean, I guess buyer beware, but um, that really is a play on the mind, isn't it? Because the mind kind of interprets things and it's playful, it's funny, it's friendly. I can trust this. Yeah, well, let me let me give you some examples. And you're if you're in insurance you may know this better than i because i've never really worked in insurance but this Good. is based on my my i uh, my uh being a consumer and just seeing it i believe that warren buffett and berkshire owns progressive they own the general geico yeah yeah and geico right mm -hmm. so here we have three different brands mm -hmm. that are owned by the same company and as a creative director in advertising, this is what I see. One, flow is funny. 
progressive with the aprons. Ha ha. They come out. They're pretty funny. I kind of like Flo. And I, I worked at an agency where a woman for Halloween dressed as Flo from Progressive Insurance. Yeah. And she looked fantastic. She looked exactly like her. Ha yeah. ha ha. Hilarious. Oh, my God. That's marketing right there. Or if you get someone, your mascot, essentially so famous that people dress up as them at Halloween, you've done a pretty good job sure. for a certain marketplace. Yeah. Meanwhile, the general, look at those ads, and they look like late night TV ads that are uh, produced yeah. by Low an quality. agency yeah. in a third tier country. You yeah, know, low or, budget. You know, yeah, low budget cheesy corny mm -hmm. all that stuff why yeah. because they're selling to a very distressed marketplace of people who i just need to have insurance on my car yeah. because the state you know requires it yeah i need the lowest cost so i'm going i don't mind that it's cheesy i just need that card that says i've got insurance whether it covers anything i don't care i just need to be able to drive to work yeah totally different marketplace yeah or audience member that they're trying to reach they call them the jerry springer market sure. you know the the ones who watch uh, all the judge shows during the day yeah you know i just need something to get me to my minimum wage job at a fast food place yeah and this is not me trying to uh make point out things that are are making feel people feel bad or anything like that there's a market out there of people that i just described yeah. i have a crappy car that barely runs but I do con uh, I am concerned about being legal in the state of whatever state you happen to be in, and that requires an insurance card. So I'll go with the cheap guys, you know. Th th and the reality is, there's no real difference other than pricing between these things and coverage, pricing and coverage. But yeah. the perception is, mm -hmm. uh, Geico's kind of funny. I'm <laughs> a young guy, twenties year old if i like the geico so it's the one i remember sure and you see it regularly it gets in your head let me call geico you're familiar just like with tide it's not that tide's product is any better than some maybe it is i don't know but it's familiar it's been around it's lasted in remember how i said the first job of uh branding is differentiation your brown cow my brown cow yeah the second job is awareness are you even aware For of sure. the brand because like uh, there's there are all sorts of insurance brands that you've never heard of as a general consumer. Sure. If if someone says, "Hey, there's some great deals from brand X, brand Y, and this one you've seen on TV every week and you feel a little bit more comfortable with that, which one are you going to pick? The one you're aware of." Of course. Why? Because Progressive's not going anywhere. They're not a fly-by-night thing. Why? Because I see their ads on TV all the time. Even though Product X might be better than Progressive, That's most right. people are not going to do their due diligence. They just associate with Progressive and Flow and the cute gecko. You know, oh, I, I trust that because they're aware of it. And that goes back to your line: performing brilliantly in obscurity is not a winning strategy. So you might have an amazing product. You might be an amazing marketer, writer, whatever it might be. But if no one knows of you, if the tree falls in the woods, um, do you make a sound? And that's yeah. really- Or another metaphor, if you create this incredible birthday party for your child, but you never invite anyone to that party, is yeah. anyone gonna come? And the answer yeah. is no, they're unaware it's even happening, right. much less why they should. The first thing is 
we're having a party awareness. The second thing is differentiation. This isn't like every other birthday party. This is going to have a bouncy house and a clown and a magician, yeah. which, oh, that's interesting. Sure. And, you know, all of these things add up under the brand. And this is a temporary brand birthday party. But but you know what I mean? Do you have people in your life that are the, the people who are like the great party givers or the ones who have fantastic dinners sure, sure. and stuff like that? Everybody in your neighborhood or your social group knows that, oh, the Clausens, they are the ones who give the greatest yeah. parties. Oh, and by the way, don't miss their 4th of July celebration. Right. They go all out with the fireworks and all that stuff. I've just described one of my neighbors, not they aren't called the name the Clausens, but I was just thinking, oh my God, he's done such a fantastic job of branding himself as the 4th of July guy that there are there's a line of a hundred cars outside their house. They live in a, a semi-rural area and everybody shows up for his fireworks show. Yeah. Oh my God. how do he do that? Well, he did it. And then he invited and he invited yeah. and people came, they tried, they started talking, they evangelized the brand that is Dave Batterman's 4th of July fireworks celebration. Mm -hmm. And now people come every year, yeah. even without an invitation. Yeah. It's now a known entity. It's it's became part of the uh, the collective of your community. But um, so let, let's go back to a few other things if we can. So want to want to touch base on one subject. And let's say we have ten guys who and they all sell tires, right? Now you have a commodity basically, and they might sell some premium tires, but so does the guy down the road. To Obviously, to get, you know, there's there's a um, to get notoriety. So it's not your product. The product is the same as everyone else. Now you're talking about it's your service or your customer service, um, something that would need to stand out. And then that's what you would be. That's your brand then. Obviously, well, it, yeah, it, it's a part of what your brand is. Yeah. You know, it's a proof point on what your brand is. Yes. And it's funny you pick tires because I can tell you about a personal thing with me. I live in Madison, Wisconsin on the east side, but for a period of time I worked on the far west side. And the thing you need to know is that Madison has two lakes and an isthmus between those lakes. So it's very thin. So it's hard to get from the east side to the west side. So I, I would go over the lakes, as they say, over the lakes to the west side to work. And then I'd come back every night and it'd, it'd be about a 40 minute trip one way. So I'm working at a place and right across the street from where I work was a discount tire. That's the name of the firm. Yeah. Discount tire. And so one day I'm like, I need new tires. I can just take the car over at lunch. It'll be done by the time I leave. And it's very convenient. And then I found out a couple things and they give free fr uh, tire rotations anytime you want. They uh, will, re you can buy a very affordable road uh, warranty thing on the tires where it's like for an extra $10, if you get a, a nail in your tire, they'll fix it for free and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's very cool. And so I would get tires from them. Well, eventually I didn't work at that place anymore. But I would drive 40 minutes all the way there to get a free tire rotation. Yeah. And then right next to them was an oil change. So I'd go there kind of as a twofer thing to 
get the tires rotated and the oil changed and and then drive back i i would drive 40 minutes out yeah. of my way to go to the brand that had yeah. served me with excellence mm -hmm. multiple times when it was easy yeah so that when it became a little bit harder i still preferred them mm -hmm. and they're selling commodities they have the yeah. same bridgestone tires as anybody else but yeah. their service and quality level all the once i got to know their brand all those little things added up so that two plus two plus two equaled 15. yeah and actually you know i still go to them for tires and yeah. maybe i'm an idiot for doing so but no no that's sort of what may i would think what makes it sort of now a premium yes because it stands out now it's not your run-of-the-mill place i'm just getting milk everyone's got the same milk but you're saying there's i'm treated with respect they treat me they give me the right price they do these extra little add-ons i'm gonna go and spend that extra time i'm committed to them they're committed to me yeah well let me also put this in terms that certainly any female member of your audience would probably understand one of the hardest uh relationships to break up if you want to break it up is between a woman and the person who does her hair, especially if they've reached sure. the age where they have to do hair color. Yes. Yes. And I only know this because of my wife, because as she will point out, you mm -hmm. get your hair cut all the time and you don't care where you go. Well, I go to one place and it costs me $150, but I get a cut in color and I only do that once every four months. So don't talk to me about how much it costs. And what she's really doing is, the person who does my hair knows my hair, knows how I like it, knows how to make me look great, makes me feel good, yeah. delivers value mm -hmm. so much so that I will pay a premium for that person, not for the, and that's the thing, for that person, for that yeah. personal brand, mm -hmm. not the brand of the salon. I don't care about the salon. So much so that when that person went from salon A to salon B, my wife followed that personal brand yeah. to salon b she yeah. didn't care what where the physical and again she went way out of her way to go to salon b yeah because that person delivered a higher quality product service and experience yeah. than anybody else she's ever dealt with to the point that she won't even consider anybody else and that's what a good personal brand should do mm -hmm. if they know who you are what you do and how you do it they should never want to go to anybody else because there is only one of you. And that's the point of commodity versus brand. It's better to be one of one, a premium brand, than one of many that is replaceable or perceived to be replaceable. Well, this is a great point and leads me into my next uh, uh, subject here. Or, or So yes, my wife will, will also drive 45 minutes to get her hair done from this one woman. Um, so I am a writer. I have this podcast. Uh, authenticity is, is important to me. That's the whole point of it. I think that's why people like it. Uh, I think that's why Joe Rogan has had such a successful show because things of interest to him are interesting to others. And he asks a lot of good probing questions, a lot of good information. And I think I'm doing something similar on the show, or at least I hope. Um, again, this is this is what connects us all, I think. You know, we're, we're all often living behind these kind of facades, but these type of shows, these type of conversations brings out that authentic self. So the show is, I think, called Douglas Robbins' Den of Discussion. 
And in your book, you were saying, look, you, your authenticity, your personal brand, your name should be on that, whatever it might be, if I understand right. So I was actually just speaking with someone yesterday and she's like, you should get rid of the Dena discussion thing because it really doesn't mean anything to anybody. Your name means something to me. Uh, the Ed Milet show, Trent Sheldon show, like, you know, big names. They don't have other names for the show. They just use their name. That's their brand. Well, let me interrupt you to sure. say my podcast is called Nonfiction Brand with DP Knuton. Yeah. Now, the key thing there is, and even on the album art or the poster art for the podcast, mm -hmm. my photo is part of it. Yeah. Why? My goal with my podcast is to get my name, my face, my ideas, my uh, curated guests out there in the world. Mm -hmm. If I put on a great podcast party, that makes me a really great podcast party host, which makes me more valuable, more interesting, and also gives me many different opportunities to get out there on social media to say, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive which is like pinging on a radar. But in this case, it's new episode, new episode, new episode with someone you, you've actually heard of, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm not just saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's look at the value I'm bringing to you. Absolutely free. Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation. Someone telling you it should be the Douglas Robbins show. I'd be like, um, which Douglas Robbins and why should I care? Mm -hmm. I go by nonfiction brand because that is the flagpole around which I dance mm -hmm. every day yeah. when it comes to what I do on social media. Again, I play guitar. I have dogs. I, I view politics as a blood sport. I follow, you know, I, I watch this on Netflix, blah, blah, all this other stuff. None of that matters. Why should you come talk to me? And the answer is because you're curious, huh? If you say there are nonfiction brands, that means there must be fiction brands and right. there's a difference. Tell me more about that. My, the goal of my show title is to get you to say, does that mean there are fiction brands, DP? Well, your title then, is saying something, though. My title yeah. is just sort of saying we're in this den, we can discuss whatever. So would you say I should and maybe, you know, it's I'm putting on the spot, but like the den of discussion in itself isn't a brand isn't saying what it is. Nonfiction brand is saying the brand. You could be a little bit more specific perhaps in mm -hmm. your title, mm -hmm. to be honest, uh, other than what I've read on Podmatch, which is the service that we kind of yeah. discovered each other on. I don't know much about you. Yeah. So you've mentioned you're a writer. Great. I have a receding hairline. That could be well, something big. Hey, there are a lot of people who have actually used their bald head to their advantage, hmm. you know? Uh, so again, lean into what you've got yeah. in a huge way. Yeah. So you mentioned you're a writer. What type of writing do you do? Um, typically about everyday people making a difference, kind of socially conscious um, people, tr people trying to, you know, like I said, do the right thing. I just came out with a book called love in a dying town about a single father raising a daughter in sort of a dying factory town. Um, and, you know, sacrifice, those type of things. But it's really about everyday people, authentic everyday people um, who are stepping into the greatness and making a difference. Step into greatness with Douglas 
Robbins. I like it. You're hired. No, see, but that's what I do. That's part of what I do, which is I listen to what you're saying. Yeah. And then go, I got to put it through my, my, what will my audience pay attention to? Yeah. Because as a writer, my, especially in advertising, you always have to look at it from the, what the audience wants to understand, not what yeah. you want to say as a, a commodity, yes. a product or a service. Right, right. It's not what you want to say. It's what they need to understand or what they will grab onto yes. and want to know more about. How does it affect them? Not, not me. Exactly. It's always about them because mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's an old story that everybody in advertising throws out there, but it's a great one and kind of Yoda-esque. People don't go out to buy drills. They go out to buy holes. And what does that mean? Well, it means if I'm putting up pictures at my house and I could use my Superman x-ray vision to put a hole in the wall so I could put a screw in there or something to put my, my thing on, I wouldn't need an electric drill. I need a hole. Right. I'm going out to buy a hole. So don't talk to me about the drill. Yeah. Don't tell me about the torque and crap unless torque matters. But talk about how fast it'll do this, how it won't fray the drywall. Here's the the drill bit that does it so much more efficiently, or here's a one-step process that actually, it's not a drill I'm after, I'm after a, a ping picture hanger tool. Yeah, right. All of a sudden, oh, I don't need a drill, I need a picture hung. There's yeah. a difference. Mm -hmm. So that's always the key. Look at stuff as from the point of view of your audience. So D Den of Discussion is not a bad name. What it implies is that, it's a casual conversation. It's not an interview. It's going to be more of a, hey, I got a question for you. What's your take on this? And you might come back with uh, an opposite take or something. It's a discussion. It's not, it's not like a, a, you know, a nightly news interview where, yeah. and this bugs the crap out of me. They have a list of questions, and no matter what you say, they go on to the next question. So yeah, you're know. talking about, so you left the company in 1976 and went on to found a new one in yeah. 1982. Uh, what caused you to do that? Well, in 1987, I killed my wife. But in 1982, oh, I went on to do blankety blankety blank. And they don't stop and go, what? You no. killed your wife? What? <laughs> now the weather. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, were you even listening? No. And the answer is no, they're not listening. They're interviewing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan's been successful to the tune of $100 million yeah. exclusive on Spotify because literally I'm just asking questions. I'm just a normal guy asking questions. Yeah. I've got a Nobel laureate across the table from me right. and I'm just a normal guy asking normal guy questions, even if it's a stupid question. And that's the appeal mm -hmm. to a great many people. Cause keep in mind, Joe Rogan as a talent, is not untalented, but he was a minor character or he was a regular character on news radio, the, the sitcom. He yeah. later became the host of the reality show Fear Factor. He, he was always known as a capable stand-up comic, but not necessarily top tier. Yeah, yeah. And yet he found this platform that suits his style perfectly. Yeah. And that's one of the th things I talk about in my book is find the, st the stage that suits your style yeah and that's something we can talk about in a minute but my that's point about line. joe rogan is that he was able to find the thing that works for him 
and be completely authentic with about who he is. You know, and that can rub people the wrong way. You know, yeah. if you don't like the mixed martial arts part of him because it's a right. violent blood sport, uh, fine. He moves on to something you will Commentator be Commentator at UFC, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you're into that, he's got more credibility. And by the way, who's his audience primarily? 20 to 30-year-old guys, you know, yeah. age probably 16 to 35. Mm -hmm. You know, and he does tremendously well in that demographic. He yeah. knows what his audience wants because he is his audience. Yeah, He is authentically himself. I don't think he's faking one thing about what he does. Yeah. And I don't agree with all of it. But sure. that's okay. Sure. Be because he's being him, I'm being me, and the Venn diagrams do overlap for some things, but not all things. Well, it's also amazing. You know, I've listened to pieces of, of the show here and there. I mean, some of the shows are like three plus hours long. Yeah. I mean, talk about a, a discussion. I want to move on to something uh, with you. Um, and that, once again, is, is the branding and the personalized branding. So you have Elon Musk, the, the biggest entrepreneur in the world, the biggest, you know, wealthiest man in the world, 100 billion times, you know, 100 billion dollars, you know, beyond anyone else. He is this innovator, people associate this greatness with him, innovator, pushing um, the envelope, if you will. And by doing what he's done, taking these risks, he's been greatly rewarded. A lot of the companies are really trying to catch up. And as you point out in your book, everybody knows Elon Musk, but you don't know anybody who works at Ford. So right. Ford's sort of branding is almost a secondary branding. And that is, but the F-150 is tough and it's, it can haul and, and you know, all these things. Um, but that's kind of a similar commercial to the GMC truck. And, you know, we're tough, Ram truck, you know. But Elon Musk is a different character altogether. Would Tesla, you know, be what it what it is if there was no face to it, if there was no, you know. So he is the brand. So can you maybe speak to that a minute? Um, he's obviously been his best salesman in, in many ways. Well, yeah. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. What's more reliable, Tesla or Elon Musk? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Well, if you're a follower of him to a certain extent that I am, you will see him, you know, kind of jabbering on Twitter and sure. saying all sorts of stuff that is like, wait a minute, dude, that's just plain lying. That's that should yeah. have the SEC or FEC coming right. after you, all that stuff. Meanwhile, Tesla's are are re right. very reliable, yeah. high customer satisfaction. Right, right. You know, even the people who don't like Elon Musk love their Tesla, mm -hmm. you know. So when I say which was more reliable, Tesla, Tesla has been able right. to create a brand that is totally kind of made from his DNA, the entrepreneurial side of Elon Musk, the risk-taking side of Elon Musk, the, the innovative, disruptive Elon Musk DNA, that's smothered all over, you know, it's spread all over Tesla. However, Elon Musk undercuts his own brand, although one of the things that a lot of brand companies do is use the uh, archetypes that were developed by Jung to describe the brand. So uh, brands like uh, DeWalt hand tools are the hero. They, they're always there, they're strong and all that stuff. Other brands are jokers like uh, Mountain Dew, the soda is, is considered a joker brand because it's always kind of uh, 
loosey goosey and fun and silly and stuff like yeah. that. And that's that's a key part of its brand. Harley Davidson, similar thing. It's 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 this big kind of hero brand that's sure. authentic American to the right. point that people in Europe will buy a Harley Davidson, even if right down in their own city. They could buy a fancy Italian cafe racer. Yeah. They'll still buy the the Harley because that's what, you know, the guys in Easy Rider wrote. I right. don't know. But Rugged um, individualism, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they want to associate with that. So Tesla, I would say, is Elon Musk really the face of Tesla these days? Or is it more the cars themselves on the road, the the very cool stores in which you buy them? the tribe that drives them. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, Elon Musk is clearly associated with it, with Tesla, but not like he, he was at the very beginning. Yeah. But he single-handedly took the moribund electric car industry yeah. that existed all the way from the 1890s. Hmm. And he brought it back to life and made it viable. And now he, all car companies are coming out with electrical electric based vehicles. So boy, that guy, whew, he is interesting. And the funny thing is the perceptions that you have of Elon Musk about he's, you know, dating Grimes or having a child with the pop star Grimes and stuff like that. All, and then watch on Netflix, there's a new series called Return to Space about SpaceX going into space. Elon Musk is in it quite a bit. He doesn't seem flighty or flaky the whole damn time because he is literally putting Americans back in space yeah. on an American space vehicle yeah. for the first time in decades. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't come off like he's some pot smoking idiot, even though he likes to present himself like that. And most recently this week, putting out a bid for Twitter that yeah. was like uh, 48 million 43 billion in cash right and also with the 420 in there for a little pot reference for oh, those people okay. who smoke pot okay. everything he buys is yeah he wants to buy the shares at 54 dollars and 20 cents 420 ha ha well but that's his puckish sensibility that's what yeah. attracts a whole lot of 20 year old men to his as acolytes you know, I'm old enough to go, what a poser. But then again, I go, mm, he's not really a poser if he's taken an entire industry from zero to I want one within, you yeah. know, since the the Berlin Wall fell. I'm old enough to remember the Berlin Wall, baby. Yeah. And I thought it would never come down. Well, yeah. guess what? It came down. But he and, he... and after that, that's when he started Tesla. And now yeah. it's a brand that, you know, is worth more than the rest of the auto industry combined. You know, he is a brand. You know, Tesla is one of his brands, but he is a brand that everyone wants to, you know, he's exciting. He's innovative. He, he's outspoken. Um, yeah, he's, he parties, you know, like he's this real guy, even though he wants to go live on Mars. Um, you know, it's just like the Kardashian stuff. People want to associate it with just like Gucci. People want to associate. They're now touching Elon Musk to a point. This car that I'm driving, Elon Musk. Well, yeah. I mean, if uh, let's just do a thought experiment here. You're driving down the road. In one lane, there's a Tesla. In the lane right next to it, 
is a Buick. Give me a profile on the drivers of both of those cars. Right. You would assume a Buick is probably a middle-aged or later older, you know, person driving slow, probably. Yeah. Um, and Tesla is more exciting, you know, um, um, you know, maybe a 20 or 30 year old professional, uh, maybe having fun, you know, letting their hair, you know, letting the windows down, letting the, you know, the hair, hair blow. No, of course, that's a very different association. Yeah, but and it's all because of the things like Elon Musk represents, but also Tesla represents. And I would say, again, Tesla is a stronger brand than perhaps Elon Musk is when it comes to selling products. Mm -hmm. At this point, yes. Yeah. And because Elon Musk is a gadfly. Yeah. But what? Wow, what an incredible one. And the thing, I, I picked the, the brand Buick on purpose, not just because I drove behind one that was dro- driving slow yesterday, Yeah. but because, get this, your mileage may vary on how you perceive a brand. What I mean by that? Buick is huge as a luxury brand in mm. China. Is that right? I would, you know, if I said, what are the American luxury brands? You might say, well, Cadillac or, you know, maybe some of the fancy stuff that Fiat's doing or what. I would never say Buick is really a, a super luxury brand. No. It's more of a high end, but but not even that high of a high end. But in again, in China, it's huge. Uh, in another brand, do you know the workwear brand Carhartt? Yeah. Okay. I was at a meeting where it was an international meeting and I was talking to a couple of gentlemen from Germany and we were having a great conversation about wide ranging. And one of them says, uh, what is with, what is Carhartt about? And I'm like, Carhartt, you mean the, the work where, you know, the kind of, yes, yes, yes. Durable. And I said, oh, well, here in the United States, it's a very recognized brand that's very considered very durable. A lot of people who work on building houses or building roads, they wear it. It's yeah. it's for people who work outside all day long and, you know, it, it, it all that stuff. He said, oh, that's very interesting. And I went, why is that interesting? He said, in Germany, in a very tony shopping district, you'll have Gucci, Prada, Carhartt, Louis Vuitton. Hmm. And so in Germany, Carhartt is perceived to be a super premium, rugged American brand, not unlike Levi's, uh, you know, denim jeans and stuff like that. It's like, really? Hmm. And the answer is yes, because it's associated with the brand of America, which is, you know, the kind of outdoors, tough, plain spoken. Yeah. You know, if if you want to be perceived as, uh, kind of more grounded than someone who wears Louis Vuitton or buys Louis Vuitton or something like that, you wear Carhartt. But at the same time, you're still signaling, and yet I have money. I have money, but I'm more feet on the ground than you with your Prada stuff. I'm not pampered. I'm rugged, but I'm wealthy. Yes, because the key thing is it signals I'm wealthy. I'm a member of your tribe. It's like... Have you ever seen, uh, and they they mention it in movies all the time, 
where someone is about to get kicked out of a fancy nightclub or something like that because they're wearing uh, a certain torn up jeans. Mm -hmm. And the person says, these cost $5,000. And then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because it's not about what it is. It's about what it represents. And what it represents is, oh, you've got money to buy bottle service at $500 a bottle for a, a bottle of Cristal. Yeah. But that is the product we sell overseas, isn't it? That rugged individualism, that wide open space, the Harley, the Wrangler jeans. Um, yeah, well, apparently. the uh, my wife and I have been watching on Paramount Plus uh, Yellowstone mm -hmm. with Kevin Costner. Yeah. And I, I just every once in a while think of it as if I were in a if I were in Berlin, Germany, surrounded by millions of people. I can see trees kind of a way far away, but I can't really touch them every day. And the idea of getting on a horse and just riding for three days and not seeing a person, there's not a place in my world I can do that. Yeah. I see that on TV and I know it to be true, at least my understanding of it, that that is possible in the United States of America. Wow. I want some of that because yeah. I can't get that here. Yeah. And that's why so many people, as as many international people that uh, look at America with disdain, even more look at it as open plains of opportunity where you can be the rugged, tough individualist that can go from, I came to this country with $25 in my pocket, and now I, I retire as a millionaire. Yeah, yeah. And the fact is... That is based on the nonfiction brand parts of the United States of America because there are so many immigrant stories yeah. from all castes, from all countries, from all levels of society that if they get here and they work hard and they get lucky, I mean, let's, sure. let's face it, luck is involved. Mm -hmm. They can go from $25 in their pocket to a millionaire by the time they retire. Yeah. And that's what is the siren song of America. The American dream used to be that we leave the country in a better shape than we had it as kids. The American dream now is if you can dream it, you can achieve it in America. Yeah. And that's a pretty damn strong brand. Yeah. Well, we've been speaking with D.P. Knutin with his new book. Can you see it? Oh, uh, it's kind of. Well, I'll show it. I'll show it on uh, my side. Nonfiction brand. Yeah, there you go. Nonfiction brand, DPQ. Obviously, this man knows a ton about branding and marketing and um, can certainly check him out. DP, is there a good website uh, people can find you at? Yeah, actually, I want to invite your listeners to go to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift. And you can download free, completely free, three PDFs that will allow you to start beginning your nonfiction brand journey. One of them's a, a brief five question questionnaire that'll get you thinking. And then two of them are actionable. You should start doing them today activities to start building your personal brand via the incredible free, powerful channels, global 24 seven, 365 of social media. So all you have to do nonfictionbrand.com slash gift you don't even have to enter your email address because, frankly, I never send anything to it. So just download those PDFs and check it out. You can also find out how you can contact me if you want to. 
Uh, and also, I'd love for your listeners to check out my podcast, the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, which comes out every single Monday and is available wherever you get fine podcasts for free. And this week's episode is episode 191. So I've been doing it a while. Yeah. And having fascinating guests on talking about, guess what, nonfiction branding. Well, a lot. And I noticed, you know, again, a lot of case studies in your book, a lot of them are uh, have been on your podcast. You know, you can see maybe their short story or synopsis sort of in the um, in the book itself. And, you know, fascinating how a lot of people have mastered maybe one of the social medias, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, whatever it might be. The gentleman with the plumber who who was Roger Wakefield. Yeah, he was struggling and figure out, you know, YouTube. And now he's he's almost a plumbing celebrity. Oh, he he's totally a plumbing celebrity. I mean, imagine that. So if you're thinking, listening to us, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Think of, just understand this. Roger Wakefield is a plumber who I met at Social Media Marketing World a number of years ago, like only like four years ago. And while he was there, he's getting his phone blowing up from his wife saying that, hey, we're going to be out of business Yeah. by the time you get back. He went back, he changed everything, did nothing but YouTube. Now, if you go right now and type in plumbing on YouTube, you're going to see the smiling face of a guy with a big walrus mustache who's bald and a really great guy. And he owns plumbing on YouTube. Yeah. That's Roger Wakefield. So check that out. That's the power of personal branding. But this is also, uh, and I'll let you go in just a second. Like there are so many success stories and that's really what this is about. And this is really what your book is about is, is helping individuals with their authentic message and their authentic product, whatever that might be, become successful in their niche, whatever that is. And so you're talking about, you know, um, the rugged open plains and the American dream. I mean, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the whole thing, too, is we mentioned the name Kardashian earlier. This is not about being a Kardashian. Yeah. Nonfiction branding, especially the, the way that we've talked about it today and I wrote about it in my book, is about being the you you actually are and getting credit for that. Yeah. Because if you are, like I was, the creative engine of an ad agency that nobody knew, it was easy to get rid of me mm -hmm. when we sure. lost a client or something like that. If, I, if people were coming to me because of me, you can't get rid of me. Right, no. An example being Gordon Ramsay, the, the famous chef. You know, right. if, if you were going on a special date night when you go to Las Vegas with your wife and you want to go to one of those fancy places and you, you actually have, are aware of Gordon Ramsay and you go there, you're not going there for a good hamburger. You're going there for a Gordon Ramsay hamburger. Yeah. A hamburger is a commodity product unless it's a Gordon Ramsay hamburger. Do you see the difference? Yes. Yes. I'll take Chick-fil-A over Gordon Ramsay hamburger, but. Yeah, well, exactly. But, <laughs> and you as an, you get to choose. And that's the whole point. Branding is yeah. about choice. Yeah. You get to choose. And yeah. by the way, I'll go for this Popeye spicy chicken sandwich. <laughs> okay, Chick-fil-A any day of the week. All right, you got me beat. Well, DP Knuton, uh, nonfiction brand. So nice to speak with you today. A lot of nuggets and, and, you know, keep up the good work and go, go rock out back there. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Douglas.
Thank you. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Douglas Robbins Show. To find out more about Douglas and his books, check out douglasrobbinsauthor.com.